uh, Mark sends me more violent. And then last night we dealt with, we called it, it's called New Spirituality, but it's the New Age Movement. Also talked about Hinduism and Buddhism, which is all kind of part of that, that context of that idea. Uh, it's interesting, we talked about the Christianity and Islam would deal with the spiritual, but also the physical. It deals with both. The secularism and Marxism deal mostly just the physical. And then last night with the new spirituality or the new age movement deals mostly just with the spiritual. That's what they say, everything's spiritual. The physical is more as an illusion. Well, tonight now we're getting to another worldview. And before we get there, though, I want to talk a little bit about, I mentioned about the benefits uh, we have as Anabaptists with the, um, speaking of the Islamic faith, just because of some of our practice and how we live our life, it's, it's, it connects with Islam, Islam and some of the things, as far as community and some of these things. Uh, I want to read one about the Buddhism and Hinduism. Uh, advantages in ministry among Buddhists and Hindus, which we spoke about last night a little bit. And this is be actually from Alan Roth yet. And I just want to read this. It says, the unique strengths of the Anabaptist position, sorry, the unique strengths of the Anabaptist position us to connect with Buddhists and Hindus as well. The Dalai Lama, the spiritual leader of the Buddhists, travels around the world promoting peace. Anabaptists are known for their focus on peace and non-resistance. We refuse to participate in war, and we declare our willingness even to die for the sake of Christ. In Buddhism, there is also a sense of otherworldliness. Although their desire to get away from this world is to whatever is out there, perhaps becoming nothing seems strange to us, we also have a history of otherworldliness. Jesus said his followers be in the world, but not of the world. Nonconformity to the world is part of our heritage. Both Buddhist and Hindu cultures have a deep respect for the elderly and for family. Individuals from many people groups around the world say, you Westerners have nothing to say to us. Look at your families. Our families are in better shape than yours. I remember one time in New York City seeing a young man about 20 years old get out of his nice car. Next, I saw a frail little lady get out of her car or out of the car. The young man, well-dressed, bent down on his knees on the sidewalk to touch her feet as a sign of respect. Another similarity is the love of community. The Buddhists say, I take refuge in the Sangha, or the community. In many Buddhist countries, all boys are expected to spend time in a Buddhist monastery. Anabaptists also have a love of community. Our barn raisings, auctions, breakfast, meals, uh, after church fellowship, ministry conventions, Bible institutes, and voluntary service opportunities all show our commitment to and love of community. Buddhism promotes learning to be content. Buddhism promotes learning to be content with a simple life. This has long been a part of our heritage. In the Bible, we read that godliness with contentment is great gain. Buddhists acknowledge the spirit world. For us, instead of saying demonic activity is merely and only always a psychological disorder, we believe demons do exist, can inhabit people, and need to be cast out. This is a result of our biblicism and our belief that the Bible is still relevant today. So they have opportunities, just like I believe we have with the uh, Islamic faith, as far as uh, to be able to share uh, Christ. I believe in Hinduism and Buddhism, we also have that, uh, that uh, privilege uh, to be able to share Christ with that group of people also. And it's interesting, we talked about Christianity, by name would be the largest, and then uh, Islam would be the second, and then Hinduism and then Buddhism would be the third and fourth, more or less. So a large part of the world are those four faiths. 
But uh, we as, uh, as followers of Christ have an opportunity and a privilege and a commandment of God to go and preach the gospel. What were the four things that we talked about the first night that thinking people usually think about <laughs> sometime in their life? What was the first one? Origin, yes. Where did we come from? Second. Yes. What's the meaning of life? Why are we here? Third. Morality. Yeah, morality. What's right? What's wrong? That kind of thing. And the last one? Destiny. Destiny, exactly. And I believe Christianity answers those questions and answers them well. And I thank the Lord for that. We have, we're privileged people. We really are. Having grown up hearing this, this truth and accepting it in our life and have a hope for the eternity. Amen? Amen. All right, let's take our Bibles, and we want to re repeat that verse again together in 1 Peter 3.15. One of the reasons we are studying the worldviews, one of the things I like to know is that we can learn how to give a reason for the hope that lies within us. 1 Peter 3, verse 15. Let's all read it together. 1 Peter 3, verse 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Very good. Praise the Lord. Yes. For reason for the hope that lies within us. I hope we all have that hope and that we can respond to others, but with meekness and fear. All right, let's go ahead and start the next section. We're going to be talking about postmodernism uh, post tonight. This is the last one. I have a couple of papers. I can have some help passing out. The other one here. There's two. Yes, yeah, two separate ones. Yes. I think it's just the one side to make sure. Yeah. Just the, exactly. Exactly. All right, before we start, let's have a word of prayer that God would guide our conversation tonight and help us to um, understand more fully uh, 
the thought or the, the mindset of a postmodernism, postmodernist. Let's pray. Father God, I pray you guide our conversation tonight, and I pray you would help us to understand the viewpoint of a, someone that views life through a postmodern uh, lens. And God, help us to, as Christians to know how to respond to that and how to share your gospel and that your spirit will go forward and, and touch people's lives. I pray you just help us, Father. Uh, we need your help. Thank you. That's on Jesus' precious name. Amen. All right, postmodernism. Postmodernism. What's the root word in that? What's the root word? Modernism. Yes, modernism. So let's go back and try to define what modernism is, then we'll see what postmodernism is. So what is modernism? Where did it come from? Uh, basically, modernism is, number one here, is a trust in human reason. And I'll start out by saying this is more or less during the time period of the industrial age to a certain extent. It's basically they say the 1700s, the 1900s, somewhere in there, the term modernism would have been. And this would have been a time period with very much change going on. And as we look here, as we read now through this, it's a trust in human reason. During this time period, uh, the idea of humans being able to figure everything out was coming into vogue. <laughs> we as humans can figure it out. We, got it, we as humans can, are kind of like put ourselves in the throne. And so we trust in human reason. We trust in science. Modernism would have tr uh, trusted in technological progress. Was there a lot of technological progress in the last 100 years? 200 years, 150 years? A lot. A lot. A lot of changes. But, uh, but also with that came skepticism about religion. They started doubting that there's a God. And it talks about this in the West. What this meant is this meant turning away from the Christianity, turning away from trust in the Bible, turning away from authority in the church. And the idea that we can only know what our senses can perceive and what can be scientifically verified. So we're going back to this whole thing. It's, kind of, it's a secularism mindset. <laughs> only what we, the materialistic we talked about or naturalism, where only things that can be, be looked at in a natural manner, that's what's real. Everything else is outside. Everything else is, can't be verified, so it's not true. But putting basically humanism become God in some ways. And that's where it was. So that's where the, the world was to a certain extent, moving towards that direction. And uh, during this time period, the 1700s, 1900s, somewhere in that period. But then in the last 50 years or so, uh, somewhere in there, they would have said 40, 50 years, there's another mindset started coming into, into being. And they call that postmodernism. Post means what? After, exactly. So maybe the last 30, 40, 50 years, this became more prevalent, more prevalent. And today, I would say this is one of the main viewpoints that we have in our life, as far as, oh, not our life, in our society. Postmodernism would be the time period we're living in, uh, basically, along with secularism and some other viewpoints. But postmodernism is very much, we hear this term different times, but what does it mean? What is this idea of postmodernism? Where did it come from? So basically, postmodernism... Uh, is um, it's at number two? Let's go to number two here. Is uh, at, it's after modernism? We talked about it already. Postmodern number two. It's after modernism. It is a skeptical worldview that is a reaction to modernism. Okay, let's think a little bit. So it's skeptical worldview in reaction to modernism. Modernism said what? Everything will be what? 
made better. We're going to figure everything out. Everything's going to happen. But what's happened in the last hundred years? What's been some big things that's happened in the last hundred years that didn't quite go like a like society would have liked? Yeah, had a couple of wars, didn't we? A lot of people got killed. You always had communism coming in. A lot of people getting killed through communism. A lot of uh, uh, just strife. <laughs> and then you had your, your nuclear bombs. You had your, your technological advances, but used for destroying people in a sense. And so with all this going on, and then other ideas, you know, why it all took place. Other ideas probably too came into, into, into place that, that caused this mindset of being cynical or being skeptical. So that's the, that's the mindset of a postmodernist. <laughs> They're skeptical and cynical about basically everything. <laughs> about, you know, just, they can't, and we'll talk about this. This is where we're at. Um, so basically, it's, it means after modernism, it is a skeptical worldview that is a reaction to modernism. It is, is against metanarratives. We'll talk later what that word means. Uh, the idea is more or less means worldviews. It's a little different maybe, but it's the idea. So it's against worldviews or metanarratives and believes that reality is not able to be known. And what I mean by that? We'll continue. Knowledge is something we socially construct and truth is something we use to gain power politically. Okay. So this is kind of the idea. So now we're going to find some of these things, what it means. So what are the key characteristics and beliefs of postmodernism? First, they're cynical or skeptical. When somebody is skeptical or cynical, what does that mean? How do you find that term? This person is skeptical or this person is cynical. How do they, how do they act? Or what's their, what's their uh, viewpoint? Okay, don't believe it? Yes. Yeah, like, really? Yeah. Yeah, he brushes off. Yeah, it's not a... Yeah, it's like, what's the purpose of that? Yeah. And just kind of, they, they doubt everything. It's a doubting, it's like, they don't, they don't, they, they can't, because what happens is, modernism was going to take the place and say, figure things out, it seemed like. And all of a sudden they realize it didn't happen. And it talks about di uh, different ones, the postmodernism would have been kind of caught up in the Marxist idea as being the, the perfect thing. You know, Marxism is going to make everybody level uh, playing field, no going to be unequal, everybody's going to be, and they realize this did not work. <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> Marxism killed a huge amount of people, and they recognize this, like, what do we do? And so that's part of it, too, but even just seeing life was not going like they thought it would, with humans being in control. And so basically, so they're cynical, but number two, this is a big one, number, letter B, universal truth cannot be known. Universal truth cannot be known. Okay, what does that mean? There's no universal truth. There's no truth that's absolute. <laughs> There's no universal truth that's, that's, that's valid here and valid in Mexico, valid in Africa, valid in Russia, or even valid in Lancaster and valid in Reading. No, there's no universal tr truth is the idea. So next is letter C. They doubt we can be unbiased. They, and what's unbiased mean? Or what's biased mean? Someone's biased. What are they? Someone's biased. Is that a good term usually? Partial. Yeah, partial. Usually we think that's pretty negative, isn't it? Uh, we have our biases, all of it. But they would say, it's, they say people are automatically biased. And in some ways we are to a certain extent. But I think we can make decisions outside of that, to a certain, hopefully. <laughs> but they would, that's why they're skeptical. They're saying, 
yeah, it's just, this is your truth. This is why you see it this way, because of how you grew up and those kind of things. And so, and actually they would say that even math and science and biology is, is not necessarily true. It maybe, maybe not. You know, they have doubt about all sides of truth. <laughs> that thing's weird to us, doesn't it? It's like, what do you mean math isn't true? You had two and two, it's going to get four. <laughs> but they, they part doubting all, when they start putting doubt in all these meta narratives, all these worldviews, it's like, where do you end up? And this is where they're at. And they reject all meta narratives. And what's meta narrative? A meta narrative, it's underneath there, it says the concept of a meta narrative is similar to a worldview. It's something that gives meaning to life and the individual events that take place in life. Marxism, Freudism, free market capitalism, enlightenment, emancipation would be examples of meta narratives that every event in life and history is seen through one of these lenses. Religious worldviews are also meta narrative. Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, and Christianity all offer meta narratives to explain various events in history. Okay? In the contemporary world, a meta narrative has the power to explain and purports to be true for all of life. So, we would have a Christian worldview or meta narrative in Christianity. Our viewpoint would be set in a sense, especially if we grew up in a Christian home, we would see the world through the Christian lens. Right? We would. And we would see families through how we grew up. We would see uh, how our work ethic through that, right? We've grew up with some of these things. This is what we do. We understand when we come into church, this is how we act. This is, this is, you know, when we leave, this is how we go. Does that make sense? All these things are, are societal ways we look at things. And that's what they're saying. They're saying everything is meta-narrative. And, but they have doubt within that there's any truth in it. Does that make sense? They would say the only reason you believe that is because you grew up that way. And they would call that a social construct. And what that means is socially, working just like you build a house with your hammer and, and you have wood and you have uh, shingles, you have plumbing, you have drywall, you have electrical, you have all these things to make a house. And that's constructed in that way. They would say because we have all been impacted some of this is true. It's hard that some of this is true. You know what I'm saying? Some things are true. They would say, the only reason you believe this is because this is how you grew up in a sense. Socially, you grew up in this kind of family, in this kind of uh, home, this kind of job, this kind of... And that's why you look at life the way it is. That's why you say that is truth. Truth is irrelevant. There's no... Remember we said at the beginning, there's no universal truth. There's no truth that's valid anywhere. So what do they say is truth? With a small t? <laughs> it's only what we decide is truth. Whatever we decide in here. We want this to be true? Fine. Makes everybody happy? Let's go with that. But someone over there, they might say something else is true. Do we see that in today's world? Very much so. Very much so. That there's no absolute truth. We, and that's where you get this tolerance part coming in, okay? Tolerance is a virtue because, in a sense, because I, have, I tolerate your own, whatever truth you want to make up, that's fine. It's, your, it's, it's between you and your people around you. You decide. 
And, and so basically through that, we're getting all sorts of chaos. <laughs> when you don't have any truth to work with, you get a chaotic society. And no one knows what to do. No one knows what's true, what's not true. And it, it, it causes this, okay? And even if it happened out in Oregon, was it last two summers ago? Kind of like an anarchy. Remember that? There was stuff going on out there. People burned. They, had, they set up their own little city within the Oregon. It just was it uh, Seattle? Which city was that? No, it was Seattle, Washington. Oregon. Maybe it was Oregon or Washington? Was it Oregon? Was it Portland? Anyway, but the idea is they basically they would say this is our right. <laughs> There's no truth, and you know you're. And anyway, in part of this whole thing of that you. The only reason you believe this is to have power over me. The only reason you say this is true is to have power over me. And so all those things are coming together. And, and you can see it playing out in society today. And it's interesting as you see, as you read some of these things, this is why we act the way they do. And it's like, sometimes it's like, why are they acting that way? But it's their viewpoint, their worldview. This is where, they, this is where they're growing up. This is what they're being taught. Does that make sense? And so it helps you understand where people are coming from. And have compassion for them, because they're, they're, it's wrong. <laughs> it's a lie from hell, some of these things. And so recognizing it, though, it does help us. So, so the last one here we talked about, we believe humans are socially constructed, which we already talked about. What is socially constructed again? What's that mean? What does that mean, socially constructed? Humans are socially constructed. Exactly. We're constructed by our social... Uh, unit around me. And so that would make, you might be socially constructed different from me, right? And is that true for certain, is that true for a little bit? Is that somewhat true? Yeah, it is. And that's what's hard. Some of this stuff does have some good points. We do view the world through our social structure. We do think this is right or this is wrong through that to a certain extent. But I think outside of that, I say, no, there is truth, <laughs> whether I agree with it or not. And that's what we'll talk about a little bit here. Later on. So, uh, so number four here. What are seven assumptions on which postmodernism rests? So what are these seven assumptions? What are the seven assumptions? First of all, universal truth cannot be known. This is let, that's letter A. Universal truth cannot be known. All we can know is if our individual experiences are true for us. What do you think about that? Universal truth, truth that's valid everywhere is not, is, it can't be known. Only, the only thing we know is true is if, if it's uh, of, of what is true for us. Okay? Remember, we decide what's true and what's not true. We within our group decide that. Uh, number, uh, letter B. Reason is subjective. And what do I mean by that? What's subjective mean? Subjective. When you hear the term subjective truth, what do you think of? Exactly. It's subject to what the situation is, right? It's subjective. And so they would say reason is subjective. And, um, and reason depends on whatever we find reasonable, whatever we think works right. <laughs> uh, and they also use a term called pragmatism. And my understanding is pragmatism be more, if it works, that's fine. If it doesn't, we'll get rid of it. Not necessarily if it's right or wrong, but if it works in a sense, just we'll go with it. It's kind of how I understand that to be. But, uh, so that's number two, uh, the second one. Reason is subjective. Number, uh, letter C. 
Objective knowledge is a myth. And objective means just the opposite of subjective. Subjective means it can change. Subjective truth means it can change. Objective truth means it's always true whether I believe it, whether you believe it, or anybody believes it. It's always true. Okay? What would they say about that? That there's absolute truth? We already talked about that. They say it's a myth. There's no objective truth. There's no objective knowledge. Just because you believe it don't mean it's true. Just because you say it is don't make it true. Remember, they're cynical. They're cynical. And this is where it's, this is what it all comes down to this. Um, and they would say no one is neutral. No one is neutral. We are all situated in our experiences. And that's true to a certain extent. <laughs> like I said, we all are, we do look at the world through our experience. But do I say there's uh, objective truth outside of that? Yes. There's truth whether I agree or you agree. There's, there's, there's auto, you know, we would find out pretty quick if I got on top of this roof and I would tell you that I don't believe in gravity. And I, and I, you know, you know, I believe I can fly. But if I step off that roof and fart flapping my arms, what's going to happen? <laughs> you see, that poor guy just made a... Dumb. <laughs> exactly. I was like, oh, my leg. I broke my leg. I broke my head. broke something probably or hurt something. Why? Because gravity is going to affect me whether I believe it or not, right? Exactly. And so these kind of things, this idea that there's no objective truth is kind of, if we look at it in some of these ideas, we say, no, there, it's still going to, even if I don't agree with it, it's going to happen. Does that make sense? Like I've already used the example, like if this wall, this whole thing of, of truth if I would say there's no wall here, and I'd come and tell, you know what, there's no wall here. And I tell you know, there's no, and I tell everybody there's no wall there, and I tell you that for, you know, every Sunday for a year. And I'm coming, there's no wall here. But one day I'm gonna come walk across and you know, I'm gonna go outside and I'm going, I'm just gonna go outside now. There's no wall here. You know, I'm gonna hit the wall. <laughs> it doesn't really matter what I believe. The wall's still there. But this is the idea of. But postmodernism is say no, it's just whatever you want it to be. You just believe it's there in a sense. Um, and so it's kind of hard because they, they probably look at it and say, no, there's a wall there, but they're still cynical. They're probably, I, put the water, I put the wall there, but they probably say, is <laughs> because I'm just trying to take control over you. I don't want you to leave. That's maybe how they look at it. Because <laughs> they're cynical. It's a power play. You know, words, things we do, it's, just, it's a big power, it's a big power over somebody else. Okay? So, letter D, the world is too complex to be explained by any worldview, they would say, claiming to have objective knowledge of absolute truth. So, the idea, if I say there's absolute truth, no, it can't be explained. There's, there's no, it does, doesn't make sense to them. So, when I go to them and say, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, that's your thought. That's just you believe, but I believe something different. And my, I, my viewpoint is just as valid as yours. Okay? And so this is, this is the way we go. Letter E. There is no God to give meaning to the world. We have to draw our own meaning for our own existence and experiences. Okay? There is no God to give meaning to the world. This is kind of sad, isn't it? You start going down through here. The hope, there's no hope in it. There's no hope in this. And that's, can you imagine going to bed at night and just being cynical about everything? It'd probably make you depressed after a while, wouldn't it? There's no reason. What, what am I here? What's the purpose of life? 
And we talked about what's the things we want to know origin, we want to know meaning, we want to know morality. If I don't believe there's no truth, how do I know what's right and wrong? Where do I find it? It's not out there because I don't believe there is any. And they can't answer these questions. Letter F, societies like humans are biased. Humans shape societies according to their viewers of reality, which is based, biased by nature. So we're all biased by nature. Uh, and so just like humans, societies are the same. Does that bring conflict between people? Yeah. Brings conflict between races. Because you're just, it's a, you're just trying to get power over me. You, can, you can't take someone in a sense, it's just, I'm cynical of why you did this. The only reason you did this is because uh, instead of taking it at face value, you say, no, I agree, I believe you were kind. I know you were kind. You did it out of love. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But you take, you get, it's easy just to take cynical thoughts about everything. Now, letter G, no one is neutral. Our cultures, languages, histories, and genders color how we see everything. Is that true to a point? Yeah, it is. It's true to a point. But I think within that, we can still find truth. <laughs> Does that make sense? We can still, even if we are biased in some of these things, as a man, I will see different things, uh, probably think different than my, my wife. Is that true? Yeah, I probably will. Probably most men here. Understand that. Our wives see things sometimes different than we do. But does that make her wrong or me right? Or me wrong or her right? No, it's just a different way. But the idea is we can trust each other. Okay? I think between that, I think we can still come up with a good decision about things and not say, no, there's no purpose in it. No, we can still come up with good decisions. All right, we'll stop there for a little bit, have a break. About five minute break. Any questions about this? As we're talking, it's kind of a whole other concept here <laughs> of postmodernism. But this is a school of thought or the thought that we're living in right now. Okay? And you can see it played out in society when anything goes. Why do you tell me that I can't do this? Does it hurt you? I believe it's right. How do I, you know what I'm saying? And this, that's the idea everything is valid. Your truth is just as valid as my truth. And because of that, whatever pleases the flesh comes out. Okay? That's what they was, yeah, in a sense. Whatever truth you want to live by. And, uh, yes? That's why you're racist even though you didn't do it. It's just natural. It kind of is in some ways. It can be. No, no, all these things play into it. But you can, yes, but you can see why this is coming out. Okay? You know what I'm saying? It's not just accidental. It's just because this is what's being presented. And so all these things play into it. And so the thing is, how do we as Christians react to this? And that's what you want to get, you know, want to think about that. Uh, this, is, this is prevalent in our society. And I believe God wants to bring peace to these people, wants to bring truth to people that have been grow up with this idea. And a lot of it is because they've been taught this to a certain extent, or it's been fed them. And, and and just and so because of that, they're living it out. Uh, it's a sad. It really is. But I believe God's grace is sufficient. I believe God wants to bring, just like He brought us to repentance, He wants to bring them to repentance. And so we're in this. That's one thing I've always, I, I think about already is, 
there's no reason for us to be proud <laughs> or think we're better. We're all in the same boat. We're all in the same situation. We all need peace with God, right? And I like that one quote where it said, I'm one beggar trying to tell the other beggar where to find the bread. That's what life's about. Uh, and so as we do that, recognize the people that are living this out, they're looking for something. They might not know where it's at, what it is. <laughs> and it's hard for them to find truth because they don't believe in truth. But I believe, how can, we, how can God speak into their lives and grasp them and say, no, there is truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said that, okay? All right, give you about five minutes, then we'll come back together. So if you want to break. Or another question? Sorry. Okay. Yeah, good question. Uh, new age would, everything's spiritual. They would still say there's a truth to a certain extent. New age would, as far as everything, that they would say the physical is illusion, but they still say there's, we're looking for a clear mind or something. You know, it's kind of a fishy, fi- but postmodern would be skeptical. What do you mean there's any, there's any spiritual side of life? You know, they would just, they just throw every, they they're basically don't agree any worldview is correct <laughs> or any religion. Everything is just what, it's just your, you're just trying to get power over me in a sense. Words are made for power, you know. As you don't want really to describe something, you're describing it, but you're, it's just for the purpose behind it. I'm sorry? No, Okay. So, no, good question. But that's how I see it. That post, uh, new spirituality would still say there's a truth to a certain extent. It's a wrong truth. You know, his, Hinduism and Buddhism, they would still have this idea they're trying to attain something. Um, with postmodern, it's just skeptical. <laughs> and, and then it's, it's, why are you doing that? It's just, yeah. So, any other questions? Yeah. Well, Exactly. We'll talk a little about that just a little bit further here, about how they look at reading. We'll talk about that, but yeah. Because it does. It's my, it very much comes out. All these, all these different worldviews will affect us. From the new age we talked about last night, it affects us to a certain extent. And, uh, and secularism affects us to a certain extent, right? We're, we're bound up. In, you know, as much as we think they're just, we're only focused on the spiritual the physical also calls to us sometimes and trying to please ourselves. All right, if you want a break, or should we keep going? I'll leave that to you. I'll give you a little bit of a break. If you have the restroom or something. Some of these already, but we're going to go over these again, some of these words, and try to help us define a little better so it sticks in our minds. So the key term, the first one we have here is objective truth. We already talked about that. What is objective truth? Objective truth is what? Exactly. It's true whether I or you or anybody believes or not. It is true. Uh, God said it's true. It's true. <laughs> and um, example is, I would say, uh, if I had a, a blue car, this blue car is mine. I could go, I could show you the title, this blue car, I own this blue car. That would be objective truth. You can define it. You can say what it is. The second one is letter B, subjective truth, which you already talked about it. But this is when opinions are stated as truth. 
Example, the blue car is the nicest car around. That is an, that's my opinion. It might be true for me, I think, but it's subjective. Does that make sense? You might think the red car is better. But this is the idea between objective truth and subjective truth. And it's the big one. When you say there's no objective truth, only subjective, everything's a small t. And just your opinion is what, they're, they're saying everything's an opinion in a sense. Okay? When you, have, when you say there's no absolute truth, everything's an opinion. And your opinion is valid, my opinion's valid, his opinion's valid, her opinion's valid, and there's nothing that can supersede. Okay? So then we have letter C. Anti-realism. Anti-realism. Anti-realism is the denial... The denial of the existence or accessibility of objective truth. They would say, there is no. And it's kind of going around a circle. It's saying the same thing again in a different way. But there's no, uh, the denial of the existence or accessibility. I can't even find objective truth without looking for it, in a sense. <laughs> you know, even if I would try to find it in a sense, there's, no, there's nothing there. Uh, denial or existence of objective reality or, or reality that is always true. And this is where you get this saying. That may be true for you, but not for me. Did you ever hear that one? Or this idea? Is that in the church? <laughs> this is where it starts to get a little fuzzy for us. And next one especially, we're talking about deconstruction. And this is, I didn't, I'm not even going to go into that side of it, where there's not deconstruction, where sometimes people now, they talk about deconstruction going, and they were Christians, and now they're, deconstructing in a way, and now they're not Christians. <laughs> it's kind of that, I'm not going there. Deconstruction here is the idea we're bringing out. It's a method that seeks to understand the underlying point of view of the view of the text. Remember, so when we look at text, we look at, say we're reading a book or a poem or whatever it might be, and I'm saying, I believe this, this poem says this. And you say, no, I think this poem says this. And another one say, no, I think the poem means this. Which one's valid? And this is what deconstruction is, okay? And I want to read a little bit about this, uh, how this works. Um, Jackie's Dorita, in particular, tried to show through his writings how text of all kinds could be deconstructed to reveal their underlying assumptions and ideologies. Literature professors across the world had fun showing students how to ferret out a text hidden or multiple meanings. In the end, the reader's interpretation of the text became more important than the meaning the author intended to communicate. Since, strictly speaking, there was no meaning in the text itself. Do you hear what I'm saying here? Basically, the idea is the author's opinion didn't really matter, whoever wrote it. It's just what you thought it said. That's what's important. You think, okay, what's the problem with that? You know, a poem is a poem, and you think the poem means talking about, you know, the frog down by the pond, and someone else thinks it's talking about the grass on the hillside. What's that matter? Some things, maybe not so much. <laughs> But when you get to, you talked about, when you get to scripture, does that matter? It does. 
And that's our problems right now with this idea. When you start destructing and you start saying, well, well, this is what it means to me. You ever hear that? You do that Bible study? You ever do that Bible study? It's easy to say that sometimes. This is what this text means to me. Is that wrong to say that? Because <laughs> you know God can work in different ways for different people, right? Like some part of something might stick out to you, so it might stick out to me. And that's true. Because you go ahead. Okay. <laughs> and and I think it's different if this applies to me differently. Or not applies, but I shouldn't say that. If this is what speaks to me in this text, and you speak to something else speaks to you, I think that's fine. But if I'm saying that my, how should I say it differently? We look at the same text, but I say it says the water's blue, and you say the water, it says the water's red. One of us is wrong. <laughs> okay? And so the idea here is within the church. You ask about how it's affected the church. When we go to scripture and we start deconstructing scripture in the way that it doesn't really matter what the author thinks. It matters what I think. In some ways. But here they may be the interpretation even different. Not just the application. Does that make sense? Here you're interpreting different. The application, we're not, we, we'll talk about that within our thing. Sometimes we all, the goal of, of studying scripture, your interpretation is the same. But yeah, how we apply it now might come out differently within us. Whatever that might be. How do we apply this in life? If I live here, if I live in China, if I live in Russia, you know, there might be some applications, some differently. But interpretation is still, we'd say, the same. But here it seems like even they're trying to get interpretation different. And it doesn't really matter what the author says, which should be God. <laughs> it matters more what I think it says. Can that be dangerous? Yeah, <laughs> it can. And because we want to, what our job should be as Christians is to discern what the author meant by this, not just what I want it to say. Okay, and so, um, and because because idea is once we do that, we, we end up in all sorts of places, and we don't want to end up. <laughs> we really don't, and we start putting uh, scripture is for my benefit instead of the glory of God. Because uh, there's some verses that are hard in Scripture, aren't they? And if my flesh would change it, I'd probably want to flesh change it, wouldn't I? <laughs> yeah, there probably was some. There's some that say, you know what, God, why'd you put that in there? That's kind of hard. <laughs> Even if I know it's for my good, but, some, you know, but I know, but no, God's word is still God's word is God's word. It doesn't really matter what I think about it. I believe that is objective truth, whether I believe it or want to put it in practice or want to live it out. Does that make sense? But that, that, and that's where we as Christians, we can say, no, there is objective truth. With postmodernism, they would say, no, it's subjective. It's whatever you want it to say for you. It's valid. And that's what this whole thing is. The, the, when, we, when there is no big T truth, we all discern, we're all deciders among ourselves what we want it to say. And we, it's socially constructed. That means between our group here, we decide. We decide what we want it to say. 
We make the choice. We're the ones that are important here, not the author. Okay? And so, uh, and then maybe someone down the road, they can say something different. And so some of these things are um, where it's coming out. Any questions about that or any thoughts? We've got to be careful as Christians how, to, how we do this and not to get sucked into this idea that, that all truths are valid, that all our opinions are the same level, quote. Opinions, I understand, are opinions, but it's, if it's based on truth, it's still truth. If it's not based on truth, or God, it's not necessarily. It might be, it might not be. Okay. All right, the next one, letter E, nihilism. Nihilism. Nihilism would have the idea, uh, the belief that the world and human existence are without meaning, purpose, truth, or essential value. Is that around today? Yeah. <laughs> There's no value in life. What's the purpose? And remember the four things? One of them was meaning. People look for, they're not finding it in postmodernism because there is no truth. But nihilism can come out of that. That the world and human existence are without meaning, purpose, truth, or essential value. It's just we're living it out. Is that kind of sad? That's really sad. That's really sad. So number six, number six here in the last, um, last page is... What are some issues that postmodernism and Christianity agree with, agree with? Is there anything within Christianity that you would say and postmodernism that we agree with? One thing is, is the, our culture does shape us, right? Yeah. And, and that's, the truth, that's true. We are socially constructed to a certain extent. <laughs> we are. But as Christians, God supersedes that, and he's changed us. I don't have to do just like I have grew up because God can change that, right? I believe he can. He gives us a new heart, a new life. God supersedes our culture. But in general, our cultures do, do um, we're constructed by what we, how we grew up. That is true. That, and that's what they would say also. So we have some agreement in that, but... We would go, I think we'd go past that and say, no, it does not have to define who I am. <laughs> I can supersede that through Christ. Okay, for good and bad. Okay, hopefully the bad we drop and the good we keep. Another thing that they would say would be similar would be, um, which I didn't talk a whole lot about it, they would say language, um, language is basically always used to manipulate people. Your words, how you say your words, it's used for manipulation. Is that a true statement? Sometimes. Can you manipulate people with words? Can you? Can you manipulate people? Yeah, we can. We can manipulate people with words. And so that's also a true statement. Does it always that way? No. But sometimes it is. Okay? They would say, I think, more or less, it's pretty much that's the way it is. <laughs> okay? Is how I understand it. But, so that's some things with postmodernism and Christianity we could agree with. But seven, what are some issues that postmodernism and Christianity disagree? What are things we disagree with? Probably the, one of the big ones is that we can know the truth. <laughs> we can know the truth, right? 
They would say they can't. I would say we can. So that's one thing we, we drastically are different from postmodernism. We can know the truth. And the truth can set us what? Free, exactly. Amen. Second, letter number B, that we can judge between right and wrong. Postmodernism comes to the point is like, you can't really judge. Because you really don't know what's right and wrong. It's just your opinion. Or this, you know what I'm saying? As Christians, we can judge, I believe, right and wrong in a valid way. And what's it based on? Exactly, that's scripture. We have a base to go back to. Does that make sense? Praise the Lord we have that. And it's not just word of mouth or that someone just saying, we have something to go, this is God's word. I can base my life off that. There is morality. I know what's right and wrong because of this. Okay? So that's another thing we would disagree with, with postmodernism. And the last one is letter C. We would, I dis, we would disagree that all language manipulates. Some language manipulates, sure, but not all language. All language is not, you don't always say something just to manipulate the situation. Lord willing, yes. Exactly, exactly. It's not for the, it's not to have, it's not a power struggle. I'm not trying to get over you by my words I use. You know, hopefully, Lord willing, as you said, encourage, build people up with it. Not to manipulate them in a bad way, but uh, manipulate them in a good way. Encourage them, okay? So that's some things we would say. Um, Number eight here, which is kind of interesting, postmodernism <laughs> contradicts itself when it says there's no absolute truth. Why is that? Exactly. They're making a statement, an absolute statement, right? They're saying there's no absolute truth. And is their statement valid themselves? No. Because <laughs> they're making an absolute, they're making an absolute statement about no absolute truth. And so it's self-contradictory. It's it's yeah, it's self, uh, it contradicts itself within that. So anything, we end up with one more thing here. Anything about what we just discussed already? We're going over it quickly, and I hope you get the feeling of what it is. It's basically cynical. Uh, they, they would say words are for, it's a power struggle thing. Uh, your opinion is just as valid as my opinion. Your truth is just as valid as my truth. Um, don't tell me... This how to live in a sense, because it doesn't. I'm, 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 my truth is this is valid as yours. That's kind of the idea, and they don't believe there's truth out there. So, is that discouraging? You'd be in the, yeah, it is. There's a lot of sad people I'd be out there when when you when you have not believing that you can find truth would be very, very discouraging, in my, my opinion. Where do you go? I'm sorry? Exactly. Or even physical. All, all sorts. If, if we can't say, I, if I cannot say that there's truth, uh, we, you know, we don't, just kind of brush it off, but that's a big thing. <laughs> you know, astronauts, as far as getting to the moon, you mean? Yeah, the, exactly. To get that, the... The, the, the math to try to... Exactly. Exactly. But, uh, but they're just skeptical about life. And, and so... The, the, the last question I want to ask is, how as Christians, how do we deal with this? Because this is a society we're living in. 
and, and a lot of a lot of youth are growing up with the, the mindset that there is where tolerance is the key. And the reason there's tolerance because there is no big T truth. And so it makes sense to them, right? It makes sense to them. It's like if there's no big T truth, that means your your opinion is just as valid as my opinion. Your way of life is just as valid as my way of life. And I cannot say anything against you against that. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. And but within that I do believe there's people that are searching. You know, God wants to bring these people to repentance. God wants to show them the truth. I believe that. And so what are some ways as Christians? How do we deal with this? You know, we just gotta respond at that moment, respond hopefully the God honoring way when someone cuts us off like that and not <laughs> But what, what are some ways that we can um, extend the kingdom of God in, into a world that has this idea? Without yeah, without being argumentative. Any opinions or ideas? Or examples? Okay. And I think, I think you're right. You have something as far as Scripture. I do believe scripture, even if someone says it's not true, I think it still works. I, scripture is powerful, sharper than a two-edged sword. And, and so I believe scripture, speaking scripture, even if they don't say it's true, I think it still has a power behind it. Okay? I think that's a, I think that's a good point. Anything else? What else would you do? Because I don't want to leave this, this evening us all depressed. <laughs> I want us to be energizing. No, we, we have hope. We can get the reason for the hope that lies within us. To be able to give that out. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. If I can't give validity to everybody's way of thinking, if I say their absolute truth outside of that, then they're like, what do you mean? Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, it is very much so much a society today is going that direction, isn't it? That Christianity is starting to get, so far the courts have held it up to a certain extent, but it could swing very quickly where you're not allowed to disintegrate, disintegrate, not disintegrate, discriminate on the basis of what I believe is right or wrong. We'll go ahead and read these quick the thing to close it down. Any other thoughts before we close this? Before we finish up here, postmodernism. And I think one thing, way to look at it is recognizing it's some of this I think probably came about because modernism tried to put humans on the throne. <laughs> and we're gonna figure stuff out. There is no God. And now coming out of that, they recognize it didn't we didn't answer the questions. <laughs> humans couldn't answer the questions. There's a spiritual side of life that's trying to uh, relay. And I think with this new spirituality also has a form of tolerance to a certain extent, it seems like. And so that'll all go. <laughs> and so people are still trying to look for something. They're, people still, I believe, even in postmodernism, it seems like people still desire to realize there's something besides just us. I think they want to believe something. That's my opinion. That's just the that's pure opinion. I think we as humans have that desire to have something bigger than us to, to be part of our life. We want, we want there to be truth. Uh, just like I've heard children, when you put a fence up in a playground, they'll spread out to the outside edges. You don't have a fence up, they're all kind of huddled in the middle, is what I've heard, that idea. I think we like that protection. And knowing there's truth out there is a protection for us as Christians. It's a blessing for us. So I just have to think that even if people, you know, promote postmodernism, it seems to me I, that behind all that, they still want to believe something. That's my opinion. Um, I'm sorry. They want meaning. Exactly. They want meaning. I think it's a natural response. Even if they don't know where it's at, I think they still want that. And as Christians, I think we've got to figure out how do we, how do we give this out to them. And I'm going to go ahead and read what he, um, there's a fellow named... Um, uh, Lynn Pearson, he came up with nine ways of communicating the gospel to postmodernists. Now I just want to read him quick. And this is his opinion. Um, he said, number one, postmodernists do not like to be told what to think or believe. That's one thing. <laughs> so to them, personal discovery is more important. So the process of opening up the gospel may seem to take longer than we imagined. Be prepared to meet several times, even many times, rather than cramming everything into a single conversation. They want to process it, is what he would say. Postmodernists accept the value of stories from all cult cultures. They will not reject the narratives in the Bible and your story, or your testimony too, when they can relate how God has helped you in practical ways. Okay? This is, this is what his opinion. Uh, third one, postmoderns are most interested in, in the here and now. They want what works for me. By concentrating first on the benefits of Christianity to your practical life, you can use the scripture to capture interest before speaking of eternal things. That's just an idea. This is what he's thinking. Um, speak of how God guided you when you had a choice to make. That would be a practical way. How God guided you in the situation. Unanswered um, prayer. Or even how God interacts in the nitty gritty of real lives. Number four, they would say, show respect for their viewpoint by listening. Uh, take a genuine interest in their lives. Listen even if their ideas make no sense to you. Early conversations are not the, same, not the time to correct their misunderstandings. Take time to really understand their views and circumstances, where they're coming from. 
Five, ask pertinent questions. One church training program makes some suggestions. Ask questions that get them thinking and talking. In doing this, you are checking for open doors. Um, maybe uh, some of the questions you have, do you have a spiritual background? What do you do in your free time? Do you ever think about God? That's maybe some questions you could ask. Six, uh, major on areas of agreement. There will be a lot upon which we agree. There will be a lot upon which we will, will agree. Concern for the oppressed, the need for the world to become a better place, etc. This encourages trust and establishes relationships. We do not need to compromise our beliefs, but on no account should we appear critical or judging the postmodernist, postmodernist, or of anything else for that matter. That is seen as arrogance. And we're just doing it just to try to prove our point. Uh, so be 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 quick to look at things that are positive. Sometimes that happens, I think. They can't feel it. Like they, 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 want to, they only whatever they can feel and touch. Yeah, secularists are more that way, yeah. So that's what they would say. Look at the areas that you can't agree with, but don't compromise um, on our beliefs, though. Uh, number seven, do not be loud and argumentative. Rather be temperate and considerate. Remember? How do we, how do we, what did we just, what's the verse say? With meekness and fear. You know, give, don't, we don't have to win the argument. <laughs> We, we present, because in the end, it, we'll talk about the last one here. Do not be loud and argumentative, rather be temperate and considerate. Anything we say which is couched as an argument will not be very persuasive. Our goal should not be to win an argument, but to win a friend, is what they would say. Uh, I mean, number seven, number eight, they would say, don't be pushy. Explain about Christianity without forcing a decision. And the words of the evangelist Will McRaney, our conversation with postmoderns should be more supernatural, less super sales. And last of all, uh, trust the Holy Spirit to do His work according to His timetable. God's got to work. We recognize that. Paul talked about plants. Paul planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Okay? So remember this. This is, a, this is God. God wants to save that soul. <laughs> and more than you want to. <laughs> and so recognize that and pray, God, you know exactly what this person needs to hear. Guide my mouth. Guide my thoughts. You know exactly, you know, when he goes home to bed at night, his mind's, you, he can't get away from his mind. <laughs> These things you speak, uh, make, help me speak the things that you can use later on to touch him and touch his mind. So trust the Holy Spirit to do his work according to his timetable. Pray for opportunities to engage in spiritual conversation and trust God to anoint you for it. Then doors will open for you and you will see needy people becoming open to the truth of the gospel. We're all people with the same needs, right? We all need peace with God. And uh, we've have a, 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 because much that we have been given much, and for that much is to be expected in a sense out of our life. And um, I'll finish up with this here from Brother Allen. Let's see if I can find it. Right thing here. The similarities with various cultures and religions create a great opportunity. Could it be that God has called us into the kingdom for such a time as this? In reaching Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, and Jews, we are uniquely equipped because of the special values and history of our Anabaptist heritage. Rejoice because of the diamond that has been given to us. Don't be put off by the facets which may seem rough. Don't toss it away. God is polishing us. And remember, greater advantages lead to greater responsibilities. 
To much, to whom much is given, much will be required. I conclude with a challenge from a story shared with me by David Shank, who grew up in Tanzania as a missionary child living among the Muslim people. He talked with a Muslim religious leader during a meal together in Washington, D.C. about the Sermon on the Mount and explained the way Jesus taught us to live. When David finished, the Muslim cleric leaned forward and with tears running down his cheeks exclaimed, David, the way of Jesus is beautiful. It's beautiful. Why don't Christians live that way? Why don't Christians live that way? Let's pray. Father, God, I believe your way is perfect. (laughs) Your truth is sure. Your scripture is complete. And we, we trust in it.